So I'm not going to lie to you. Feels a little warm in here. <laughs> and one of the benefits of I don't wear my hearing aids when I preach, so that everyone was complaining about a squeak at last yesterday, last Sunday. I didn't hear a thing. So, in the, in the wise providence of God, I guess. Um, if you're going to follow along this morning, you can either turn in your Bible to Mark chapter seven, starting at verse 24. Or you can find the text in your order of worship, or you can follow along on your phone any way you'd like. So I say to you, hear the word of God. Verse 24. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray now that you would um, come and you would open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. I pray that where there are those who need healing, I pray that you bring healing where those who need faith, I pray that you would bring faith. I pray that you'd be in my head and in my thinking and in my heart and in my understanding and in my mouth and in my speaking. In Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Amen and amen. Well, we're, we're... getting toward the end, actually, of our series called Be Healed, which is basically um, looking at various healings in the book of Mark that Jesus does. And as we consider the healings in the book of Mark, we're we're not necessarily looking for uh, techniques on how we might be healed. Rather, what we're doing is we're looking at these healings and seeing what they tell us about Jesus, ultimately. What can we learn about Jesus and about the way that he deals with us? And each week, it's been sort of a different angle and this week, it's, I, I promise you, it's going to be an even different angle. This is one of those, I've never preached this text, and so it's one of these texts where I, I sort of sit and stare at it all week. Saturday night, I'm still staring at it, and finally it hits me what's going on here. And so the question I have today, the, this question's going to seem odd. On one hand, on the other hand, by the end, I bet you it makes all the sense in the world. So the question I want to start with this morning is, do you know the first rule of improv comedy? You know what the, 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 there's a first rule, you know what improv comedy is, if you've ever seen like whose line is it any, anyhow or that kind of thing, where it's, it's just they're improving the whole way. Well, the, the first rule of improv comedy is this, is that no matter what is said, you always reply with yes and. Okay? It, it, in other words, let's, so, so let's, do, let's do one, for, for example. Let me show you how you don't do it. So you walk in, let's assume I'm in a Jiffy Lube, and I walk in, I talk to the person, and I say, hey, I'm here, I'd like to get my oil changed. And the person at the counter says, great, and would you like us to throw in a brain, a, a brain replacement also for $20? Now, if I wanted to block it, I would say, you can't transplant brains in a Jiffy Lube. It's over, not even funny. But if I walk in, I say, can you change my oil? And he said, yes, would you like a brain transplant along with that for $20? And I would say, yes, and can you give me some windshield wipers? 
See how that works? And you keep going forever. And it works, I mean, it works in a lot of situations that aren't even that funny. A few years ago, I was teaching a men's small group Bible study in the fireside room. It was about six in the morning. And a, a man burst into the room off the street, probably had schizophrenia. And we said, can we help you? And he said, the police are after me, but don't worry, I have a gun and we're good. <laughs> and one of, the, one of the people, one of the guys there said, oh, brother, how can we pray for you? And I kicked him under the table. And I said, what's happening again? And he said, the feds are coming to get me. And I said, yes, and can you hear that? And he said, what? And I said, I can hear the radio transmissions in my head, and they're almost here. And he said, thank you, and he ran away. <laughs> if I had told him it was stupid, we might have gotten shot. It works at home. <laughs> Imagine a scenario where Judy says, Tommy, you always leave your socks laying in the middle of the bedroom floor, and I'm tired of it. And I say, yes, and I'm so blessed to have such a long-suffering wife for these past 28 years. How do you argue with that, right? So as we get, go into the text this morning, what we're going to see is basically that the most unlikely person in the world at the most unlikely time, at the most unlikely place, uses yes, and on Jesus, and it changes her life. She uses yes and, and everything changes in, a, in a, the twinkling of an eye. So as we look at this, this healing this morning, we're going to look at three things, basically. We're going to look at a, an audacious ask. We're going to look at an awful answer. And finally, we're going to see faith rewarded at the end. So an audacious ask, an awful answer, and faith re rewarded. So let's consider the audacious ask first. In order to set this up, I've got to read quite a bit of chapter 7 of Mark, so hang in there with me. If I can do the voices, I'll, I'll try and make it more interesting. Um, so chapter 7, verse 1, let me read this to you. It says, now when the Pharisees gathered to him, that's Jesus, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are certain other traditions that they observe, such as washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Verse 14, and he called the people again to him and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And, when, and he said what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness and deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these things come from within 
and they defile a person. In verse 24, and from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. So what's happening here? Basically, in chapter 7, Jesus, once again, is, is in an argument with the religious authorities. They come to confront him to say, You're, we've been watching your disciples, and we notice that they don't wash before they eat all the time. And you can just imagine Jesus rolling his eyes, here we go again. And so he has this discussion with them, and he basically tells them, you, you care more about your traditions than you do about God. You care, you care more about um, the, the law than you do about grace. And then after, he calls his disciples together, and he says, okay, here's the deal. No food is unclean. What, what goes into you isn't what makes you unclean. It's what comes out of you that is already in you. It's all this wickedness and all these things. And even the disciples don't really get it. And you get the idea here that Jesus is so tired of dealing with Pharisees, with religious leaders, with disciples who don't get it, that he needs a break. And the only place he can go to get away from all the religious leaders who are constantly pestering him and attacking him is the only place in the world that they won't go. That's where he goes. So it says, and from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Okay, Tyre is a completely Gentile area. And, you know, the historian Josephus said of the people that live in Tyre that they are the most bitterest enemies of Israel. So why would Jesus go to the heart of Israel's most bitter enemies? It's because he needed some rest. Think about how bad that is. You, you, you need rest so bad, you show up at the door of your most bitter enemy's house and say, can I please stay here for a little while? That's what Jesus was doing. I mean, notice that it said he, he entered the house and he did not want anyone to know. He wanted to rest. He wanted to just get away from all of this for a while. And yet the problem is, is that it says that no, he didn't want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. Word of him had spread in verse 25. It says, but immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. So here is Jesus. He's tired. He doesn't want anyone to even know he's in town. And this woman finds out that he's in town. Her, de her, her daughter has a demon. So the, the, she, and she goes to Jesus. The reason that this ask that she makes of Jesus is so audacious is, number one, is he's not in the mood to do anything. Right? Jesus was human. He needed rest. He, he wanted to get away. So on one hand, Jesus wanted to just not have to deal with it. We'll talk about Matthew's version of this in a minute. And not only that, the disciples didn't want to deal with it. In Matthew's version, it says that when the woman approached them and asked Jesus, she said, please heal my daughter. It says the disciples begged him. The word is begged. The disciples begged him to send her away. So that was the sort of mindset of everyone. <laughs> what can we do to get rid of this woman? There wasn't what can we do to help this woman. And not only that, but she was a woman, right? Patriarchal society, rabbis didn't associate with women. And, and they made, a, some rabbis, uh, they, they called them, the, I forget, it was like the, the, the bumps and bruises rabbis. Because they were so opposed to dealing with women that when they saw a woman on the street, they would cover up their, their eyes and they would bump into things and they would be constantly covered with bumps and bruises. Now, 
Honestly, that seems pretty silly to me, but nonetheless, that's the attitude of the day. So she was a woman, but on top of that, she was a Gentile. And you remember what Israel called Gentiles? Dogs. In Matthew's version, he just calls her a Canaanite. Right? And so if you are someone from Israel, the last person you're going to think of as being your friend is a Canaanite. The last person you're going to think of of being friendly toward you is a Canaanite. And the last person who's going to come and ask you for a favor is a Canaanite. And so the, the ask that this woman makes is completely audacious. She, she approaches a rabbi who doesn't want to be approached, surrounded by disciples who want her to go away. And she falls at his feet and asks him, please heal my daughter. That should sound like someone to you. Remember we looked at Jairus last week. The rich ruler who, who his daughter wanted, he wanted to be healed. He did the same thing. At some point, you get so desperate, you really don't care. And so this woman goes to Jesus, and she makes this audacious ask of him. Will you heal my daughter? What's Jesus going to do? His response, in some sense, depending on how you look at it, was awful. From Matthew's account, especially, if you look at the next a few verses, the, the awful answer he gives her. In Matthew's account, he just simply says, I came to save the lost sheep of Israel. Bye. And she comes back and she begs him again, will you please heal my daughter? And so what does Jesus do? Notice it says um, in verse 27, it says, and he said to her, let the children be fed first. For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Okay, so there's a lot in there. So he says, first let the children be fed first. Well, Israel has always likened themselves and thought of themselves as God's children, his true children, children of Abraham. And if Messiah is going to come, he's going to come to the promised children of Abraham, and he's going to take care of them. And he says, let the children be fed first. You don't throw the children's bread God's word to dogs. I think there's a woman that said there, are you, t- you talking to me? Call me a dog? He did. Israel called, it, the, 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 the common way for Israel to talk about Gentiles was those Gentile dogs. Because dogs were unclean. And according to, to most people who lived in Israel, they're unclean and they were nasty and they roved around the streets and they ate garbage and they ate dead things and they were just funky. You didn't want to touch them. Now, Jesus does something interesting here. He, he sort of leaves a crack in the door. Because on one hand, he says the children should be fed first. And the word he uses for dogs isn't the sort of nasty street mongrel. It's the kind of like little, it would be like a little lap dog that's in the house all the time. That a Gentile, not a Jew, but a Gentile would have. It, it sort of reminds me of this crack that he leaves open when he says, um, in verse 27, he says, let the children be fed first. What he's doing is he's setting the priority of the mission. He's not saying that the the Gentiles don't get anything, but he's saying the the Jews are to be first. And it almost reminded me this, if you've ever seen the movie Dumb and Dumber, and if you're smart, you have, right? Remember, there's a part in Dumb and Dumber toward the end where Jim Carrey, who is this guy with with missing teeth, and he's just sort of crazy, and he's he's in love with uh, Lauren Holly who's very sophisticated and well-dressed and beautiful. And at some point, he looks at her and says to her, he says, do you think there'll ever be a chance for, for you and me to be together? 
And she looks at him and says, million to one. And he answers back, so there's a chance. (laughs) There's a chance. Yes, and there's a chance, right? There's a chance. So Jesus has left the door open for this woman. He didn't say, only the children are getting bread. He said, children get fed first. And here's where she uses yes, and on Jesus. She could have just said, "Mm, sorry, I'll just wait until you're ready to give me the bread, whenever that time is. She's desperate. She needs to have her daughter healed. She wants to get rid of this demon. So notice what she says in verse 28. But she answered him, yes, Lord. And the word where it says yet even, that's the Greek conjunction chi, which also could be translated as and. So she says, yes, Lord, and the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. In, in other words, she acknowledges what he has said. He's not wrong that the children, the bread should first go to the children, the, the children of Israel. And, she says, but even dogs, who I am, get to eat the crumbs that fall off the table. That's all I'm asking for are crumbs. And Jesus is amazed. He's delighted. Let me read you Matthew's account of what, how Jesus responds to that. Verse 20, uh, chapter 15, verse 27, she said, yes, Lord, and even the dogs eat crumbs that fall from the master's table. In verse 28, then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. So here's Jesus. He didn't want to deal with anybody. He wants to just rest. He wants her to go away. And he tells her, you know, here's, here's, here's how the mission works. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. First to the children, then to the dogs. And she basically says, yes, and can I have some crumbs now? That even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the table. She gets it. The Pharisees don't get it. The Pharisees, all they do is argue with Jesus, and all they do is try and catch him doing something wrong, and they don't ever see his grace, they never see his mercy, they never see why he came, they don't understand the claims that he made about himself. Guess what? His disciples, they don't understand either. In the book of Mark, the disciples are pretty dull all the way to the end. They just don't get it. They don't understand his grace and his mercy and what he's trying to do. Somehow, this Gentile woman has got it. Somehow, this Gentile woman has figured out that this, the son of David, has come not only to give bread to the children, but also to the dogs, to us, who don't deserve anything. And she's saying, would you please just give me some crumbs? And Jesus doesn't just give her crumbs. He gives her the whole loaf. Immediately, her daughter is healed. Immediately. He says in this verse, he says in verse 28, he says, but or in verse 29, he said to her, for this statement you may go your way, the demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. We know from Matthew, she says, he says, great is your faith, that, that Jesus saw this as, as, a, as an act of faith on her part. Now, what was her faith in? Her faith is in, faith always has an object, right? It could be yourself. Now, let me tell you, if, if, if people, when people say have faith in yourself, that's maybe the worst possible place you can put your faith. Because you were going to fail. And you, you, you're broken. All these things. Faith always has an object. It might be yourself. The better object is Jesus. Jesus is the better object. This woman put her faith in Jesus. And faith at some level is always a yes and proposition. Remember, we're sticking with the improv. 
thing. Faith is almost always a yes and proposition, especially when you deal with the Bible. Because remember what the yet what in improv you do. What you do is someone makes a statement and you acknowledge it, and then you say yes and. So what does the Bible say about the, about us? Basically, it, if you read the Bible and it says your heart is desperately wicked and beyond cure, who can understand it? That's pretty bad. I remember when I became a Christian, I was 17 years old, and I went to, to a camp. And the very first night of the camp, the speaker basically said, all right, kids, here's the deal. There is a God, and you're responsible for all the things you've ever done bad. Have a nice night. And I left the room, and someone asked me, How's it, how did you, what do you think about the speaker? And I was like, this is horrible. <laughs> I got nothing. That's because I didn't understand yes and, and I didn't understand what the Bible also said. The heart is desperately wicked beyond cure. Who can understand it? Yes, and Jesus came and lived the life you should have lived. The Bible says you're dead in your trespasses and sins. Yes, and he made me alive in Christ. You see, that when you begin to think of yourself and you begin to wonder about yourself, you know, Jesus, I'm just so broken and lost and miserable, you can hear from Jesus saying, yes, and I've been where you are. I empathize with you. There's no way that you've been tempted, nothing that you haven't suffered, nothing that you haven't been through that I don't understand. And when you, you begin to, to, to think to yourself, remember the, I always tell you the, my favorite quote from Martin Luther, right? That when Satan comes and says to you basically, you know, Tommy, you're the, you're the most miserable sinner who ever lived. You're the biggest liar. You're the biggest adulterer. You're the biggest murderer. All, all the Ten Commandments, Tommy, you, you're the worst that the way you reply to Satan is to say to him, yes, and. The person you've just described is the very person that Jesus came to save. And so thank you for preaching the gospel to me. Where are you this morning? What do you feel about yourself? Do you, do, do you feel hopeless? Do you, do you look to Jesus and say, Jesus, I, I have no hope. I don't, I, you know, all these things are happening in my life. I don't know what's going on. You can hear, do you hear Jesus saying, yes, and I have a plan. Yes, and all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. As you, as you go into this week, as things come across you, ask yourself those, that question. What's the yes, and answer to all the misery I feel right now? What's the yes, and in the, at the end of the day, what you find is you're able to preach the gospel to yourself. That when you feel broken and wounded and shut down, you can hear Jesus saying, yes, and I have given everything for you. Will you trust that? Think about that. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray this morning that you would come and for all the, the things that we have in our life, whether they're struggles with finances, um, when we say, Jesus, I don't know what I'm going to do about my, my finances, and we hear you say, yes, I, I understand that, and uh, I will provide for you. All these things that we have going on, I pray that you would uh, work the gospel into our hearts, that our first response would be to trust in you, to look to you like this woman did with faith. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. Amen.